You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. I'll try not to preach long tonight. I heard about a man, the pastor got up to preach, man. He, he was firing it up and stirring things up and uh, he, he looked over and uh, man, he got into the second hour of the sermon and one of his men stood up second row and started walking out. And uh, he said, hey, Deacon, Jones, where are you going? And he said, Deacon in the church, where are you going, Brother Jones? He said, I'm going to get a haircut. He said, well, you should have got one before church. He said, I didn't need one before church. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll try to get past there. Some, <laughs> amen. And uh, we'll see what happens. Now, you know, I heard about the preacher that every time he preached, he would pull out a hard candy and put it in his mouth. And uh, that would tell him how long to preach. As soon as that candy dissolved, it was time to close it down. And uh, man, he preached and he preached and he preached and that thing wouldn't dissolve. And he looked around, uh, tried to pretend like he was coughing and probably coughed it out and looked down, it was a button that he had in his pocket. So uh, I'll try not to do that to you tonight. Second Chronicles chapter 25, please. Let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. And I'm gonna preach a little bit fast tonight. I'll preach 40 miles an hour with gusts up to 90. Second Chronicles chapter 25, and I'd like to begin reading tonight in verse number 5. 2 Chronicles chapter 25 and verse number 5. And it was so good to see uh, Jake this afternoon, Brother Pinella. And uh, he came in, he had his uh, police uniform on everything. It scared me first. I thought, what do I do now? But uh, all was well. And uh, we're, we're the police. Uh, we're the COVID health department. You're closed, amen? But I'm glad he didn't do that to us. But Second Chronicles chapter 25 and verse number 5. If you love the Word of God, say amen. amen. What a blessing to have a Bible, to have a perfect Bible in our hands. Amen. Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together, made them captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, according to the houses of their fathers, throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above, found them 300,000 choice men, able to go forth to war, that could handle spear and shield. He hired also 100,000 mighty men of valor out of Israel for 100 talents of silver. But there came a man of God to him, saying, O king, let not the army of Israel go with thee, for the Lord is not with Israel, to wit, with all the children of Israel of Ephraim. But if thou wilt go, do it. Be strong for the battle. God shall make thee fall before the enemy, for God hath power to help and to cast down. How many believe that? And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do for the hundred talents? which I have given to the army of Israel. And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 1800s who would fill the 
Metropolitan Tabernacle in London every Sunday. They didn't have trains and cars. They didn't have Twitter. Did you know there was a day when they didn't have cell phones? They didn't have the internet, advertising. Without even a microphone or a PA system, he filled it up every Sunday. Over 5,000 people went to what they called Charlie's house. Charles Spurgeon would preach there in that great church. And he made this statement. We may count the cost as rigidly as we please. We shall find it is always best to obey the Lord. It is always best to obey the Lord. And I want to speak on this subject tonight much more than this. The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here tonight. I pray for your presence, your power and strength. And Father, we acknowledge tonight that all is vain, lest the Spirit of the Holy One should come down. It is not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. I pray that we'll get past personality and human ability. And Father, may the Spirit of God do His great work. Thank you for what you will accomplish. We give you praise tonight, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people said together, you may be seated. Thank you for standing for so long. Our text tonight is a great event that happens in the life of the nation of Judah. Their pastor is 25 years old, or their king rather, and his name is Amaziah, and he's fairly new on the scene. If you study the background, you'll find out that his father has died, and the people of Syria had already come to invade and to attack the people of God there in the kingdom of Judah. He, at 20, 25 years old, begins to reign, and he reigns for 29 years over the people of Jerusalem. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. They began to uh, spend uh, more and more. You'd read this about these kings. Some would do right. However, they would leave this undone or that undone. Now the man of God begins to uh, gather men together. He knows that he has enemies without the gates. He knows the people of Syria would like to come in and attack them again. So one of his first orders of business as a new king over the people of, of Judah and the city of Jerusalem, he begins to get his troops together. And the Bible said in verse number five that he gathered these men throughout all Judah and Benjamin and numbered them and found them 300,000 choice men able to go forth to war that could handle spear and shield. These are men who, knew, who they know how to fight and they also know how to hold the line. They know how to uh, war uh, both offensively and defensively. They are good with a spear and they are also good with a shield. These are good crack troops who know exactly what they're doing and how to go into warfare. But the king is not happy with this 300,000 man army. If you study it out, you'll find out uh, that the Syrians didn't have that large of an army. But he's worried about it. He's concerned about it. And in verse number six, the Bible said he hired also a hundred thousand mighty men of valor out of Israel for a hundred talents 
of silver. So he contacts the king of Israel. This is the northern kingdom of Samaria. These are people who have turned their backs upon God. They have given themselves wholly over to idolatry, especially to uh, Baal and to the Asherah, and given themselves to these pagan icons and these pagan idols that were so prevalent and trending so heavily at that day. So he looks to them and he calls on them and he sends up to the, to the northern kingdom and pays a hundred talents of silver to bring down these men that are called these mighty men of valor. So they were the, uh, the essence of, uh, they, were, uh, they would be the army rangers. They would be navy seals. They would be marines. They'd be green beret. They'd be the baddest of the baddest. And these men, they know how to do battle, brother. They're coming down. Now they come down as soldiers of fortune. And if you understand what is happening uh, when they came, their payment would be spoils of victory, spoils of war. The king had already sent the, ta the talents uh, to the other king of Samaria uh, as a payment, and he sends his boys down and says, don't worry about it. I've got 100,000 men that are absolutely bad to the bone, and uh, so I'm sending them down, and they'll do business, and they will destroy anybody that comes their way. But there's a problem here in verse number seven. Study it out, and you'll find out that these men are encamped about. They are ready to go to war. I can see them now. The standards of Israel are all up, all their flags, all their tribes. They are gathered together. They've got the tribe of Judah, obviously. They've got several other tribes. And now these men come down from the north, and they've got their standards up, and they're gathered together at night. They're sharpening their swords. They are singing battle songs. They're getting themselves stirred up and stoked because they're going into the battle the next day, and they're going to kill some Syrians, and they're going to take their spoil and they're going to go home wealthier than what they came down and they are stirred up. But there's a problem and there's always this problem. In verse number seven, this is always the problem. There came a what? A man of God. There's always the party pooper called the man of God. There's always the guy who comes along and ruins the whole thing. Man, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to make everything happen. Oh, really? Have you checked with God about this? Wait a minute. That's a great idea, but that's unbiblical. That's unscriptural. Let's not do that. And so a man of God comes along and rains on their parade and ruins everything they're doing. And he comes to Amaziah and he begins to say to him in verse 7, let not the army of Israel go with thee. For the Lord is not with Israel to wit with all the children of Ephraim. They have already forsaken God and because they forsook God, God forsook them. I want you to know something tonight. God will never leave you nor forsake you. People forsake him and follow after false gods, but God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen. So he said, he is left. He is not with them. But if thou wilt do it, if thou wilt go, do it. And he said, be strong in the battle. God shall make thee fall before the enemy. For God hath power to help 
and to cast down. Brother, they're over there singing, you know, I will triumph gloriously. The horse, the horse and the rider are these thrown into the sea. They're calling out. They're singing psalms. They're stirred up. I'm sure somebody's in the midst saying, we're going to kill the Syrians tomorrow. It's going to be unbelievable. You know, the old huddles back when we still had the NFL, say amen right there, before they became some political entity that even forgets what name they are, say amen. The Washington who? I don't even know their name anymore. We are in trouble tonight, say amen. But I'm saying to you though, uh, remember the old NFL? Uh, I grew up in the city of Baltimore and we had the Colts and Johnny Unitas and all those great players. Then we got the Baltimore Ravens and we got Ray Lewis as our middle linebacker. And uh, in order to be a great middle linebacker, you have to at least murder somebody along the way. Anyway, uh, he was uh, one of the great players. And boy, he gets the guys out. He come out doing his bird dance coming out of the tunnel. They all get around him. We're going to get him. going to get him. They're all fired up. And they're, they're all huddled up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're going out. That's what these men were doing. And this man of God says, wait a minute. Don't let the children of Israel. Are you talking about us? We came all the way down here. We came down here to kill some Syrians and to make some serious money. Amen. And you're telling us that we can't go out to battle? What's wrong with us? The Lord is not with you. God is not with your life. And the king begins to make a decision. And Amaziah says, wait a minute. He knows what's going to happen here. And he says to the man of God, well, what shall we do, verse 9, for the hundred talents which I have given to the army of Israel? Man, we've already paid them. We already put the money out. We already bought the car, brother. I mean, we already bought the house and signed the mortgage. It's already done. What are we going to do for that army of Israel? And the Lord, the man of God answered, the Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Amen. You're telling me that we just paid a fortune out, but God can give us more than that? And the man of God said, oh yeah. yeah. He, not, he can not only give it back, he can give you more than this. Say amen. amen. He can only give you more than this. He can give you much more than this. And God can reward you because God is a rewarder of those who obey His will. And so this man sends him home. The Bible said Amaziah separated them to wit, the army that was come to him out of Ephraim to go home again. Look at verse 10. Wherefore they were excited and happy and bid him farewell. Is that what they said? The Bible said, wherefore... Their anger was greatly kindled against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. And Amaziah strengthened himself, led forth his people, went to the valley of salt, and smote of the children of Seir 10,000, and other 10,000 left alive did they carry away captive. I mean, brother, they went down into the valley, and they killed them, and they wrought havoc, and they won the battle. You know why? Because he obeyed God and did what was right, and the Lord was able to give him much more than this. Now, there's a principle here tonight, and I want to give it to us and make an application and give you a few thoughts before we go home, but there's a powerful important principle here tonight that we find in this great chapter of the Bible. And the principle is simply this. It's always right to obey God and the consequences of obedience long range, long term are always far better than the cost. Amen? 
the, we spend so much time thinking about, what am I going to do with this? We think about the price so much that we forget about the fact that there is a prize of those who will obey God. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Have you ever had a struggle in your life and you didn't know what to do with it, but you finally trusted God and let go? And now looking back, sometimes many years later, not right away, but looking back on life, you say, I'm so glad that I obeyed God and trusted Him, and the Lord has given us much more than this. A museum curator was called. They had a, a group of people going through. There was an emergency, and the curator came down to the emergency. They said, come down to the second floor. There was a beautiful place with all artifacts and art, and there was a little girl who had stuck her hand down inside of a bud vase. It was a one-of-a-kind, very valuable bud vase. They said it was worth over $100,000. They were trying to get her hand out. They couldn't get her hand out. It was stuck fast, and they couldn't get the little girl. They put Vaseline. They tried oil. They tried everything. The little arm was starting to turn blue, and finally the curator said, well, uh, I don't know what else to do. Let's break the vase. They broke the bud vase, and when they did, Inside was her little hand clenching tightly around the penny she had dropped inside of that vase. If she would have just let go, it would have been fine. And how many times we're holding on to something, say amen? We're hanging on for dear life with a relationship or an object or something we love or some uh, sport or hobby that's a part of our life. And God said, just give that over and let that go. And the Lord is able to give thee much more than this. I think about he's able to give us much more than this by the way of salvation. I've been talking to a man, and I spoke to him today on the phone. I've been trying to work with a man for uh, the last several months, and he just won't get saved. He's part of a denomination. He said, what's going to happen if I uh, finally get saved? They're going to disown me. They're... And I said, listen, friend, I can tell you the most important thing for your life is that you've been saved by the grace of God and that you have eternal life abiding in your soul. Say amen. Eternal life is a gift of God. You cannot earn it. You cannot work for it and sinners think they need to do this, that, and the other, and the other. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And I've been working with this man and urging him to trust Christ before it's forever too late. Brother, I've already told you that uh, I was a young man in great trouble. If I'd have seen Jake when I was 19 years old, uh, I would have ran into a closet somewhere and waited for him to leave and snuck out the side door. There were warrants for my arrest at one point. I'd already been incarcerated and was in trouble with the law in big ways, but I kept thinking, if I get saved, I'm going to lose all my friends, I'm going to lose all my buddies, man, it's going to be terrible. Listen, when I got saved by the grace of God, I lost half of my vocabulary on the spot, and God changed my life from the inside out. I thought it was all going to be bad and weird and negative, and I found out, brother, it's a wonderful thing to be a child of God. Tell you, I woke up this morning, I know exactly where I parked my car. Somewhere on that packed hotel parking lot, as far out on the edge as I could get it. Now, I'm going to tell you, uh, door dingers, they follow me everywhere I go. We have several in our church that I believe are professional door dingers. I parked, I parked our car, my car, brand new vehicle, way on the edge of the parking lot. There was a fence next to it. You couldn't even get next to the car. And I came out on a Sunday morning, 
ding, right there. I mean, a couple of years ago, uh, I came out, and uh, there was a big ding right on the side of the car. I said, oh, look at that thing. And uh, one of the staff guys said, oh, look at that. And it was a sticker that he put on there. It looks just like one. I said, remind me to strangle you at a later date. But I'm saying that, uh, I mean, you understand that I thought I was going to lose everything I got. I thought my whole life would be destroyed by getting saved by the grace of God. The Bible says, I have not seen, ear hath not heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. I didn't have to look for my car this morning. I knew where I parked it. I don't have to find out how much I spent last night and wake up and say, man, do I have anything left? Am I, am I broke? I remember borrowing lunch money uh, with the men I work with. I was a foreman on a construction crew at a very young age. I'd borrow money on Mondays after getting paid on Friday just to eat lunch. I know where my money is, my things are. I know what's going on. And then by the grace of God, uh, God gave me a wonderful wife and beautiful children and a family and a dog and everything else. You name it, friends. I thought I'd never have anything like that. And when I came to Christ, I knew I was lost. I knew I was on my way to a lake of fire. I knew that I, I looked like something that the cat dragged in, and I don't even like cats. And I mean, brother, it was bad. When I got saved, I crawled to Christ and said, God, if you'll forgive me, I'll just be the janitor in the church. I'll do anything, anything you want. And you say, and, and I've gotten to be, be preaching wonderful pulpits around this country and been in great churches and have wonderful friends. I don't deserve any of that. People ask me all the time, how are you doing? And I tell them, and I'm not kidding, uh, I'm a lot better than I deserve. Say amen. The Lord hath given me much more than this. And I can tell you that's my personal salvation that God has changed my life. Second Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We were miserable sinners. We were locked up and locked down in sin. We would smoke things and try to get high. And it was amazing how many guys that were into all that lifestyle. After a while, the big thing was to smoke marijuana and they don't act stoned anymore. They try to act all dignified. Who wants to do that and act sober? Say amen. They're miserable. And I got under a case of conviction. I couldn't smoke it away, drink it away. I, every time I, I even, uh, I'd go to places and I'd somebody witness to me and tell me I need to get saved. When I finally said yes to God, I thought I've been running all this time from a God who loves me. I've been running from a God who cares about my life. And a policeman, Officer Myers, when I was a teenager, I got locked up, or locked up overnight. And he said, Rossi, if you ever up, end up in jail, let me tell you this, son. None of your friends will be there. They won't visit you. There's nobody who'll care about you. The only one who'll care about you for you is your preacher and maybe your parents. He said, Rossi, you better think about what you're doing. And I remember sitting in a cell, nobody there, nobody cared. Nobody thought about me, and they said, you got a visitor, A2. I went down, and sure enough, was that preacher friend of ours. He's the last man I wanted to see on planet Earth. But I'm going to tell you, when I got saved, why was I running so long from somebody that wanted to give me a gift, a free gift of eternal life? We say it, all this in heaven too, amen? How many, how many say this? We heard a good song about the goodness of God a few moments ago. How many of you say this? We have our trials, our burdens, and all that, but how many of you say God has been good to you? 
And I, I know some of us, you know, what a beautiful day. Well, it'll get worse. I just feel it coming, amen. I know some people, just everything, the glass is half empty and life is bad. How are, hey, how you doing today? Well, it all began when I was three. <laughs> Let me out of here, amen. I mean, brother, and some people are addicted to feeling sorry for themselves and problems and this and that. It's time to come up for air and taste and see that the Lord is good and God is good and he'll give you much more than this. Say amen. amen. So by way of salvation, but then he dealt with them about the issue of separation. He said, you need to separate yourselves from these people. Man, you're going into battle and you need the power of God and you need to separate your life from these men of Ephraim who have forsaken God. And not only have they forsaken God, God has now forsaken them. And it's time to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. You won't hear a whole lot of preaching anymore about old-fashioned Bible separation, but I still do believe in it. Say amen. I still believe when you get saved, you ought to let God change your life. And He ought to clean you up from the inside out and change you and make you into a new creature and make you fit for heaven. You say, preacher, uh, you mean if I don't wear certain things, I won't go to heaven? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying salvation is a wonderful gift of God. Aren't you glad that when we get saved, we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he justifies us by faith in his finished work. But then he wants to set us apart from the world and make us different and make us holy. My wife, she does the laundry and I'll help her on occasion, but she's made the main laundry person and uh, boy, we get it all done and she'll put it on the table. She first of all cleans the table. Then she'll put the laundry on the table. And there's times when I'll come in and try to help her with the towels and I'll fold them for her. And uh, she doesn't say a whole lot. She'll just go and uh, redo them because uh, I do not know how to do towels the way she does. Uh, one day I had them all done right there to surprise her. She said, that is so nice, honey. Thank you. I left the room. I came back. They were all refolded. Amen. They weren't right. She didn't say anything about it. Why? Because they're set apart. They're special. They're used for a very important purpose. When you've been saved, you ought to be set apart for the glory of God and let God change your life. Man, I remember getting saved and I looked in the mirror one day and what I saw wasn't so good. I mean, I looked like something that a cat had dragged in. My hair looked like an explosion in a mattress factory. And I, I just went in and got uh, my old hippie clothes, and they were all messed up. How many remember the old bell-bottom jeans? Well, they're back anyway. By the way, kids, you're not thinking anything new. <laughs> we, we wore jeans that had holes in them. We didn't buy them with holes, holes in them. I mean, can you imagine that? You're, buying, you're paying $65 for a pair of jeans that have holes in them, and, uh, and they're already half worn out. But we had all that growing up, and when I got saved, I thought, yeah, I think I, I need to change. I went to the Bible bookstore, and I bought a Bible. I said, I'd like to have a Bible. They said, what version would you like? I said, it's one of those King James kind. That's the kind my pastor uses. I didn't know a King James from an NIV for a NASV, whatever. But I, I'd heard from the King James, let me have a King James. They said, okay, we've got a little pocket edition here. We've got a small one here. I said, man, give me one of those real big ones. And they, they had a great big Bible, and I started carrying it around with me everywhere I went. Now, I don't know why I did that. I just felt like if you're saved, you ought to carry a giant Bible. I looked like the biggest nerd you've ever met in your life. And... And then I went to EJ Corvettes, it's the equivalent of Walmart, and I threw out all my hippie clothes, and I went in there, I thought, I'm going to get some, some saved people's clothes. And they had these 
cream-colored pants with big old checks on them. They were the ugliest pants you've ever seen in your life. So I thought, well, that's what saved people wear. I knew some nerdy Christians. So I bought some, uh, some of these things. And I mean, I'm coming out of a world of sin and drugs and alcohol and, and playing in, in rock bands and all that goes with it. I had a drum set that was half the size of this platform. And that was my life. And boy, I said, this has got to change. God started working in my heart. Man, it felt so good to put those weird-looking clothes on. I had a really nice sports car. And certainly saved people don't drive sports cars. <laughs> I like sports cars now, but anyway, now that I'm backslidden. But anyway, I mean, so I took my sports car and I got rid of that. And I thought, I want to get out of this world. And I went and bought a Volkswagen Squareback. You can't get any uglier than that. Say amen. And I bought a Volkswagen Squareback. And, and God was working in my life. And I'm driving up the road. I hadn't been saved real long. And I'm driving up the road. I plugged in one of my tapes. I won't call the band or some of you will start backsliding. It was a rock tape. And I plugged that tape in. It didn't sound so good anymore. I hit eject and threw it out the window. I threw another one. I threw them all out the window. And I got convicted of littering at a later date. Amen. But imagine doing that today. You'd be doing hard time, brother. And, uh, but God changed my life. And the more I separated, I found this great verse. I'd never seen it. I didn't read this. It was just in my heart. Where God says, Wherefore, come out from among them. Amen. And be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. It doesn't stop there. And I will receive you unto myself. And I will be a father, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You know what God said? If you get rid of that garbage out of your life, He's going to give you something that's a whole lot better. He's going to give you His presence in your life. He's going to give you much more than this. Amen. And so by way of the separation of the Christian life, but what about submission to the will of God? Submission. Giving our life over. You say, oh, preacher, I don't smoke, drink, and chew, and I don't go with the girls that do. Amen. Okay, I'm glad for you. Pharisees were very separated people, amen? They didn't do anything bad. They, were, they had it all together. But were they in submission to God? They came to Jesus and they rejected Him and mocked Him and turned Him away. And so just being separated on the outside means nothing in the eyes of God. The real issue is, are we submissive in our heart to say, God, I want your will for my life. Amen. Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a what? Help me. Living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, what is that? Good and perfect and acceptable, what? Will of God. You trade in our will, and he gives you his will. Amen. How many of you believe his will is much more than this? Amen. Much more than what we can come up with. Amen. God says, this is how I want you to live. This is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to be. Young people, this is who I want you to marry. This is the missionary I want you to support. These are the things I want done for your life. Amen. A little girl was in Korea, and her pastor was a missionary. And the pastor was building a beautiful new building. The typhoon season was coming. The rains were coming. And the pastor said, we have to get a new roof on the building. 
I can't get the money together. The American churches have all sent me about all they're going to send. We must have a roof. Pray that God provides the money. Please get it in now. It's a very poor village and a, a little peasant girl got stirred up and burdened in her heart. And she went to the local doctor and she said, I, Mr. Doctor, I, Doctor, I would like to sell one of my eyes so that I could get the money for a very important need. He said, young lady, what do you, she said, I'm going to sell one of my eyes. I've been practicing living with just one eye and I can live with one eye. So, said, but our church needs a new roof and the pastor's been praying about it and I feel like I can live without an eye, but I can't live without our church having a roof. I know that I can give this for the glory of God. The doctor said, do you know what this means? She said, yes, sir. Once I take it out, you'll never be able to get it back. He said, all right, you come back in two weeks. And he gave her the date. And she came back, sure enough, and walked in with a patch over her eye. He said, what is that for? She said, I've been practicing, so I won't bump into things. It's not so bad. She said, I've given my body, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. And therefore, I want God to have my eye. They took her into a room. They laid her down on a table. So we're going to put you under anesthetic. You're going to wake up. And when you wake up, young lady, you won't have an eye anymore. She said, that's fine as long as we can get the money in order that our church might have a new roof. He laid her on, the nurse prepared, laid her on the table, covered her up and had her ready. You sure you want to do this? Please don't do this. She said, please hurry, sir, before I back out and before my flesh kicks in and I back from my commitment to God. He pulled back a curtain and said, that won't be necessary. I've called four other physicians, and we have decided if you actually follow through with this, we have some money, we have funds, we'll purchase the roof for your church. And they came to the church, they gave the money to the pastor, the roof was finished, the dedication Sunday happened, and that young lady was there with that doctor sitting right next to her, and when the invitation was given, that doctor got saved by the grace of God. You know what happened? The Lord was able to give much more than this. It pays to serve Christ. Now, he made it clear that he's able to give us much more than this by the way of strength. He's able to strengthen us. We get weak and our flesh gets weak and our body gets weak. Our emotions are involved. How many of you have at least some emotions? Could I see your hand? I mean, you're married to somebody who needs more. No, I'm not going to say that. And, uh, but I mean, you know, we all, we're all different. Everybody's made differently. I'm Italian. I cry over stuff. And, you know, oh, that one commercial, they got that song playing. They're showing these little dogs shivering in the cold. Send $10 to us. Man, oh, look at that. My kids are like, don't give into that stuff. Are you kidding me? Look at that. But, I mean, we all get emotional about things. But I'm talking about the days when we get, when we get down. When we get weak, you know what Jesus said? He told the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Yeah. 
And Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You say, I'm weak in body. Don't worry about that. The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Listen, the trumpet's going to sound. The rapture is going to happen. Jesus is going to come. Do you still believe in that? You say, well, brother, I'm a mid-tribber. I'm a post. You can be mid and post all you want. The rapture of the church is going to happen before the tribulation period, and I'm going out on the first load. Say amen right there. You say, well, I'm so pre, I don't even eat post-toasties, amen? I mean, folks, uh, you understand, we're going to be in the heaven, we'll be in heaven someday, and that we ought to finish this battle and finish this race with joy, and it takes strength to do that. I'm almost done. The Lord is able to give thee much more than this in the realms of supply. Paul said, I've learned how to increase and abound, I've learned to suffer need. He said in Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He let the Philippian church know in Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply, help me out, next word, all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He said, well, pastor, why don't I have it? Because you must not really need it. Do I have an amen? amen? He said, all of your need. My wife and I were up in Michigan. We were just kids. We felt like God had called us to go on the road as a family and be an evangelist. And I said, I don't know how this is going to happen. I heard evangelists all have travel trailers, so I guess we better get one of those. We started praying about a travel trailer, and uh, I went over to a a travel trailer dealer, and uh, the guy had a nice trailer, just the one I wanted. I said, sir, here is a I'd like to have that trailer. He said, well, okay, how are you going to pay for it? I said, I don't know, but I'll give you $100 on uh, down payment. And he said, well, you're going to finance? You gonna? I said, no. He said, how much money do you have? I said, well, I don't really have any. <laughs> but I serve a God who has the cattle on a thousand hills. I said, hold this trailer for $100. He said, I'll hold it for two weeks, and if you don't come back, if you don't have the money, it's mine, the $100. I said, okay, that's a deal. We went to a revival up in Michigan, And my wife and I were at the revival. We had about $250. That's how much we had in this world. We were married, young kids, you know, just, you know, we'll just live somehow. We always did. I can tell you, we never starved. Say amen to that. God's always met the needs. And we were there in the meeting, and we looked at a little couple in the second row. It was a missionary couple like we have here tonight. And they had a real need. And I leaned over to my wife. I said, honey, I believe God wants to support them. She said, I was going to lean over and tell you the same thing. And I said, well, I feel like the Lord wants to give them everything we have. She said, I believe that too. I said, she said, I was going to tell you, give them everything. Just give them all we have. Let's trust God. I said, I mean, we won't be able to get home. We're in Michigan. I can tell you, I don't want to live in Michigan. Amen. (laughs) What's that governor's name? <laughs> Help us. And it, I mean, it was already starting to get cold. I said, hey, get me out of here. And we were in a good revival meeting, but I went over and gave the check to the guy, put it in an envelope and gave it to him. The next day he came over and was weeping. It was about $240 to be exact. He came over with tears running down his cheeks. He said, how did you know? We needed exactly $240. I said, I don't know. 
That morning I read in the book of Mark how that the Bible says, Give and it shall be given you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, on and on. But in one of the versions, either Mark or Luke, he said, Given, and he said, and you shall, shall men give into your bosom some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. I said, honey, I've never seen 100 fold giving. Could you imagine that? We got back to the city of Baltimore where we lived at the time. And a businessman called me and said, hey, do you need anything? I said, I've been praying about some things. He said, come down to my business. I want to talk to you. I said, well, you know, when? He said, I mean right now. Hurry up. I drove down there. <laughs> I had a beat up old Dodge Duster, amen? I mean, no, slant six with an oil leak. It was a piece of junk and it had a little reptile top on it. Remember those things? Ugliest car on the planet, almost as bad as an AMC Pacer. But, and I, I drove down there and pulled into his place of business. I went in and he said, the Lord put you in my heart and God told me to do something for you. What do you need? I said, well, I'm praying about a truck and a trailer. He said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll buy the truck. He said, I'll buy you a truck. I said, really? All right. Amen. I said, I've already looked at a truck. There's one up the road here. It's a, it's a used. It's a $3,000 Chevy with a crew cab. He said, I'm not buying you any used piece of junk. He said, go out and find the best truck money can buy and call me and make sure it's new. I said, excuse me. I started looking at trucks. I mean, then, as soon as I left, pff, dealers, you know. <laughs> What's the best truck? Hurry, before he changes his mind. Amen. It's the best truck you can buy. I started calling around at the time. A guy said, you need a 6.9 six, diesel Ford. He could get the crew cab with the dually. That's the one you want. Pull that fifth wheel trailer. I went to a Ford dealer. I said, do you have a crew cab dually? He said, I sure do, brother. He said, right over here. It was a 6.9, beautiful 1986 uh, Ford dually. I mean, it was dark brown. It had a beautiful tan stripe down the side. It was a redneck cowboy's best dream come true, brother. And I said, uh, brother. So I called the guy. And he said, I'll be over. And uh, he came over. I said, he, I said you want to see this? No, I don't want to see the truck. Where do I go? He goes, where do I sign? Signed off and drove away. He never looked at the truck. I got in the truck and drove down the road and I looked over at the bill of sale and it was $24,000. It was 100 times the amount my wife and I had given to the missionaries. Wow. I'm not saying that every person who does that to a missionary tonight is going to suddenly get a hundredfold. And if you give it to an evangelist, you definitely will have them. You know what I mean? But I mean, uh, I'm not saying... I'm not saying that everybody, you know, the prosperity preachers, and if you give $10, praise God, you'll get 200 back. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what happened to us and how God gave us much more than this. By the time we left that revival meeting, people came up and said, you know, God put you in my heart. Here's $100. Here, the Lord told me to give you this and look down a $50 bill. By the time we left the revival meeting we're in up in Michigan, I left with more than $350 in my pocket uh, that we got home with. We got home. We got a beautiful truck. I took it over to the, uh, to the RV dealer, and uh, he said, where'd you get that truck? And I told him what happened. I went to the bank. There's a man, uh, before I went to the dealer, I was driving up the road, pulled over to the bank, and there's a man in the church we attended. He came over and said, look at that truck. Where'd you get it? 
I said, well, the Lord gave it to me, and we're buying a trailer. Really? What kind? And I told him what it was. And he said, when are you going to get it? I said, well, we're praying about it, how, how to raise the funds for that. He said, would you mind if I gave you $2,700 today? I said, well, help yourself. <laughs> I ran into another guy at a 7-Eleven. And uh, they're, they're like coffee stores they have up in the Northeast. They're, their little slogan is, oh, thank heaven for 7-Eleven. I walked into 7-Eleven. A friend of mine owned a roofing business. He said, brother, where'd you get that truck? And I told him, and uh, he said, would you mind if I gave you $2,000 towards your trailer? Yeah, every person asked if I would mind. Let me just say, I didn't mind. And I went to the bank and, you know, put the money in. I went to the RV dealer and I pulled in and I told him my story. He said, are you kidding me right now? I said, no, it really happened. He said, I thought you were some kind of a nut when you pulled out of here. You didn't have a truck. You didn't know how you're going to pull it. He said, let me get the owner. They came back out. I told him my story. He said, look, this trailer was $15,000, and we discounted as far as we could. We'll give you this trailer for $9,000. We're going to, he said, we, could, we can't give it to you. So they were apologizing. We can't give it to you. I said, no, you're supposed to, amen? <laughs> you can't give it to you. And the Lord used that in my life as a young man. Wow. Pulled in with a brand new truck the other night. Brand new. Just got it. Some of you already coveted it on the way in. And that's the fifth or the sixth truck or vehicle that a man bought for me out of nowhere. And called me and said, from the rest of your days, as long as I'm alive and doing well, I'm going to buy you a new, new vehicle every couple years. And you'll just call me out of the clear blue. Go, go trade your truck in. I've only got 50, 60,000. Go trade it. Get a new one. And, you know, God does things like that. He doesn't do that for everybody. Say amen doesn't mean because you serve the Lord, you're going to always have some fancy new vehicle, and that's not what we live for. Right. And we don't drop hints, and I don't get on the platform uh, with holes in the bottom of my shoes yeah. like I've seen people do and say, and it told me, i got nine pairs of shoes this way at a missions conference, amen. I mean, I don't do that. Right. I'm just saying as we serve God, He's able to give us much more than this. Do I have an Amen. Yeah. I pastored a church in Atlanta, Georgia. We were in debt up to our ears. We had no way to get out. We couldn't pay the bills. It was $27,000 a month mortgage payment for about 250 people on a good day and uh, not many people with money, but somehow we never missed a missions payment. I looked at the missions giving uh, and uh, the church had gotten down to where they were giving $40,000 a year to missions and that was it. And I met the deacons and said, this is a sin Let's trust God. Let's believe God. And we doubled and tripled and quadrupled and ended up five and six times our missions giving over the next three years. And what a mighty coincidence how that in three years God allowed us to burn the mortgage of two and a half million dollars on those buildings. You see, our way is that as we give to God, God is able to give us much more than this. Isn't that everything you told me to say, Pastor? All right. And, uh, to give more than this. And I'll, I'll close, but what about he's able to give us much more than this when it comes to soul winning Amen. and spiritual service. You say, preacher, I'm afraid. I don't, I don't know where to begin. A dear lady in the church I pastored, she kept making excuses. She was on staff, and we had a policy for all staff and faculty in our Christian school had to go out once a week and give out tracts and go soul winning. I think that's reasonable. 
I think people in full-time ministry ought to win souls. Do I have an amen to that? And I said, we're, we're all going. She came and said, I can't go, and I can't this, and I can't. I said, sister, why don't you just tell me the truth? You're afraid. She said, I'm scared to death. I'm so She started crying. I can't go. People so, I said, just do this. You go with Sister Sue. This lady was a, man, she was bold as a lion. She'd have witnessed anybody. She'd have, she'd have witnessed a Hulk Hogan if she ran into him, you know. She was something else. I said, just go with her and be a silent partner. And don't, you know, you just go. You don't even need to say anything. I said, come on, sister, I'll take you. And she took her, went out soul winning, and they came back after the first time. That wasn't too bad. Sister Sue led somebody to Christ. Amen. And about two weeks later, they came down the hallway. Man, they were just beaming. I said, preacher, preacher. And she came to see me and said, I got to tell you. She said, I finally tried it. I finally did it. I knocked on a door. And Sister Sue stood there and prayed. And I knocked on a door. And a lady opened the door and said, hi, we're here from the church. And we're just trying to show people how to get to heaven, how to know you're going to heaven when you die. And the lady started crying and said, I've been in my living room praying. I'm just begging God to send somebody my way. I need help. What do I do? Amen. And she went in that, that room and into that living room, and that dear lady got saved by the grace of God. Amen. And you understand, no matter what it is, the Lord is able to give us much more than this. I told the pastor about my oldest brother, and he was a, he was a rough guy. He became wealthy as a fairly young man, and he had a, a big business, and it went well for him. And, you know, I worked for him. I was a construction crew foreman and all. And, you know, man, he was a taskmaster. Get it done. Get out of here. Come on, hurry up. And he, he was, I mean, there was no, and uh, he was something else. He was golfing in Myrtle Beach and uh, made a bad putt and started beating the ball into the green with the putter. Guy came up and said, man, we're, you're going to get thrown off the course. He said, I'll buy this place and fire that guy. <laughs> That's the kind of guy he was. He was kind of like Donald Trump, really. And, He's kind of a nutty guy. Everybody okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of a crazy guy. And um, he found out I got saved. He called me in his office and he said, listen to me right now. He said, I've had it with you. You've been a dopehead. You've been this and that. You've been in jail. You and your lifestyle and all the things you've done. He said, if you think you're going to start preaching to everybody, I guess one of the superintendents called him and said I gave him a track and tried to get him saved. He said, you're embarrassing me. You're embarrassing this company. He said, this is going to be a big year. That, uh, you're going to be working 80 hours a week this year, whether you like it or not. I said, well, I was going to come talk to you because I, I need to go to church. And I need to be in church on Sunday. And I need to be there most of the time on Wednesday. And I said, if you work me 80 hours a week, I'll work harder than any three people, but I'm going to church. Yeah. He said, you make your mind up. You're, even you're either serving God or you're serving this company. Make up your mind. I said, all right, I'll give you two weeks' notice. He said, you can't quit. And he yelled and screamed at me. My other brothers came into the room. He said, you'll be the youngest millionaire in the city of Baltimore. You're out of your mind. And I started singing. The pastor started singing, I'd rather have Jesus. <laughs> than silver and gold. Amen. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. My brothers wouldn't speak to me. They wouldn't look at me. I come to a family gathering. It stayed like that for a couple of years. God called me to preach and I went to Bible college and brought Susan home and 
that softened the blow up a little bit. I said, how in the world did you get somebody that beautiful? Look at him. And, uh, you know, my brothers, they always make, look at him. How'd you do this? Is she blind? What's going on here? And, and you know, the Lord gave me a beautiful wife, and that softened them up some. But man, they were just hostile. And he called me one night. He'd been drinking. Gave me all kinds of grief on the phone. Told me off. Said he'd like to beat me up and this kind of stuff. I said, well, you know my address, and you know right where I live. And it got bad. I'll never forget the day when he called me. He said, Lou, could you come down and see me, please? He never said please. I drove my car down to his place of business. And when I pulled in, remember that Dodge Duster I told you about? I pulled in the drive. That's a long story. I pulled in next to his beautiful brand new Eldorado Cadillac. I walked in, and his desk literally cost more than the house we lived in. And he started weeping. He said, I don't know what you have. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure what's going on with you. He said, but I, I want it. I'm ready. And I led him to Christ in his office. Then his wife came in and she got saved. God started working in my family. We went through a difficult time. They were mad at us. They, they didn't invite us to gatherings. We prayed for them. We called on God. He, I, I came into his house and right when he had a beer in his hand and tried to, to pour it and give my daughter a sip of beer, my, my oldest girl, I said, if you ever do that again, I said, I will shoot you right where you stand. And I meant it. I wasn't kidding about it. There are children. Do I have an amen? Yeah, amen. It was ugly. But man, he got saved. Hey. And then another one got saved and another one. Back in 2012, I was in Baltimore and preached nearby. In fact, he picked me up and drove me up to the meeting in his beautiful Mercedes-Benz. He said, I just wonder. He started crying. He said, I don't even know why God made me so rich. I don't know why. I said, I'll tell you why. You can take care of your little brother. Say amen to that <laughs> and drive me around. But <laughs> he was a character, man. And, and I left him and flew home. And on the way down to Atlanta preaching, a sister-in-law called and he had a massive stroke just sitting in his chair getting ready for church Sunday morning and passed out of this world some eight years ago. I miss him very much. But I know where my brother is. He's in heaven. And I'm saying that maybe somebody in your life is giving you grief and they're making it hard for you to to stir things up and be a Christian. They're mocking your stand and your testimony for God. You're raising your kids. They're going to be socially dysfunctional. Oh, that's a good thing. Say amen. amen. I don't want our kids to be socially functional in this world. Do I have an amen to that? They're going to be weird. And you know, take a stand and glorify God because the Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.